wasn't I wasn't going to talk about Grimes, but then Grimes had why, and Elon Musk said he was going to fight Vladimir Putin. So Grimes is in the news. Are we on the pulse here, or what? At what are palms? I feel like we're on the pulse. If there's a pulse, we're on it. Hey, welcome to the What Are Palms podcast, the only poetry podcast not steeped in pretension. I'm Jake. I'm your host. I'm here. Saturday, where I am in Wilkesbury. You know what happened in Wilkesbury lately? Uh, there was a couple of meth heads, uh, a, a gaggle of meth heads. I know a gaggle is usually used to describe geese, but I picture these meth heads with particularly long necks, sort of craning around, sort of um, short haircuts, shaved on the bottom, longer on top, maybe beady eyes. And they find a chicken on a street, a well-fed, uh, nice-looking chicken. We used to have chickens across the street from us. They were, you know, they were good chickens. People gave them feed, probably some of that dried corn stuff. The chickens loved it. Well, there's another chicken somewhere in Wilkesbury. Could be the one across the street. I don't know. This gaggle of meth heads is roaming around Wilkesbury, and they see the chicken. They grab the chicken, and they run down the street with it. Now, where do you think they go? They go to the exotic pet store in the center of town. And they say, hey, give us $15 for this chicken. No, they don't say that yet. I'm sorry. They say, let us in to the exotic pet store people. The exotic pet store people are like, no, get out of here, meth heads. They say, we want to feed this chicken to your alligator. Now, I don't know if the exotic pet store in the middle of Wilkesbury has an alligator or not, but I've never been there. People say to go. Uh, my one friend rescued two rats from there. The same person who told me that they went to a party once. Stuck a rat in their pocket that was going to get fed to a snake. Ran home and the thing died of cardiac arrest three days later. The world is a, it's a mosaic of stories, really. So these meth heads in Wilkesbury, they're they're trying to sell the chicken to the exotic pet store so they can watch it be fed to an alligator. They leave after they refused their want. And the owner of this exotic pet store goes and seeks them out later. He says, this chicken's in danger. So he finds them. He says, I'll give you $7 for the chicken. The meth heads say, no way. We want 15 He says, how about 12 They say, no, 15 He says, fine, here's $15. Give me the chicken. He buys the chicken. Now he's trying to find out who owns the chicken to get it back to where it's supposed to be. So there's still good out there in the world, even if it's a strange... Strange kind of good. Even if it's exotic pet shop good. Hey, I just made my girlfriend take a COVID test. I said, go take one of them Bidens. You're coughing, you're sneezing. She elbowed me in the face last night. When she's sick, she's like a moose in the bed, you know. She's flailing around, huffing, puffing, making those noises. Because she can't breathe. Because she's congested. It's allergy season. I got my nosebleed already. March 17th. That's when you get your nosebleed. March 18th, usually it's a day early. You guys know I track my allergies in an app on my phone because it's the future, right? We are in the future. That's good. Good stuff. Hey, today I'm going to do Anne Bradstreet. You know her? She's the first American poet. She's, uh, she's something else. She's, uh, she founds all these towns across America. She's like, uh, She's, she's a starter of many things. She gets sick when she gets older. I'm going to cover it all on one of our poems. Okay, I'll be back.
She took the she took the Biden though. She's fine. I didn't mention that. She's fine. Um, and Bradstreet, you're not gonna find a photograph where she's before photographs. You will find a etching, a, 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 a charcoal drawing of her. She's wearing that Puritan getup. She looks like a ghost. You know how we talk about that? How like when people, people in the olden days, the olden times, the old, the ye old days, they look like ghosts. Like was it just ghost people walking around? Ooh, I'm gonna be a ghost someday, and then they become ghosts. They look just like they look in life. Ghost people. Anne Bradstreet's one of them. Um, she's born to a prominent early. I'm saying this all wrong. Anne Bradstreet. Let's get into it. March twentieth, sixteen twelve. She's born. Holy hell! Could you imagine? Could you imagine waking up one day? What day is it, Daddy? It's sixteen twelve. Is anything happening? No, nothing's happening. Nothing will ever happen while you're alive, Anne. We'll we'll shoe a horse one day, but it's sixteen twelve, so nothing's gonna happen. We'll get sick. A lot of us will get sick, Anne. I'll have a cough most of your life, and you'll say, "Oh, Daddy, are you okay?" Say, "I can't beat the cough, Anne." And he'll die in a bed of radishes. That's kind of that's the kind of world that Anne Bradstreet's born into. But she's one of the most prominent of early English poets of North America and the first writer in England's North American colonies to be published. First one to get published. So you know what that means. She comes from money, folks. She's the first Puritan figure in American literature and notable for her large corpus of poetry as well as personal writings published posthumously. Born to a wealthy Puritan family, basically the Bill and Melinda Gates of Northampton, England, uh, Branchy was a well-read scholar, especially affected by the works of DeBartis. She was married at 16, because it's, well, what is it then? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. 16, 28, she's married at 16. There's a boy down the street, and he's looking for a wife. That's how it went. And her parents and young family migrated at the time, the founding of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630. A mother of eight children eventually, and the wife and daughter of public officials in New England, Bradstreet wrote poetry in addition to her other duties. Her early works read in the style of DeBartis, but her later writings developed into her unique style of poetry, which centers on her role as a mother, her struggles with the sufferings of life, and her Puritan faith. Her first collection, The Tenth Muse, lately sprung up in America, which is a great title. Great title, Anne. Was widely read in America and England. The Tenth Muse. Muse. We talk about muses. This is the season of muses. Bless my soul. Herc was on a roll. Personal to weaken every Greek opinion pole. Flying high and the nicest guy. <laughs> Okay, so Bradstreet is described as an educated English woman, a kind, loving wife, devoted mother, empress consort of Massachusetts, a questing Puritan, and a sensitive poet. So she's born. She comes here. At age 16, when she marries this Simon Bradstreet, uh, she's set on the road to destiny because Simon Bradstreet, he's a bit ambitious. Is ambition good? Isn't that how Jekyll became Hyde? We wonder. Uh, both Anne's father and her husband 
would later serve as governors of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Anne and Simon, along with Anne's parents, emigrated to America aboard the Arbella as part of the Winthrop fleet of Puritan immigrants in 1630. She first stood on American soil on June 14, 1630, at what is now Pioneer Village, Salem, Massachusetts, where they banned the witches with Simon, her parents, and other voyagers as part of the Puritan migration to New England. Due to illness and the starvation of Governor John Endicott and other residents of the village, their stay was very brief. So everyone's starving, starving in Pioneer Village. And Anne and her family said, let's get out of here. Let's find somewhere where there's some freaking potatoes, maybe a Denny's, you know, when you're hungry, you're driving down the road. There's got to be a Denny's. Is that a Denny's? Does that say Denny's on the next exit? It's a Perkins. Same thing. Pull over. Let's get some pancakes, baby. Uh, Most moved immediately south along the coast of Charleston, Massachusetts for another short stay before moving south along the Charles River to found the city on the hill, Boston, Mass. So, Anne Bradstreet now, Salem, Massachusetts, founds the city on the hill with with her family, with the fam, Boston, Mass. Let's stop here. One day... There will be men here. Men who love baseball. What else do they love in Boston? Baseball. Fish. Clam chowder. <laughs> what do they love in Boston? Oh, they don't. I know what they don't like in some parts of Boston. Minorities. James Brown will tell you that. You ever hear that story? James Brown goes to Boston to stop a race riot. Remember? What is that? What's that story? Let's find that out. James Brown. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story about James Brown. Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. Um, come on. The Boston Garden concert. Ready? Maybe we'll put a little James. Can we get James Brown? Uh. Can we get him singing in the background? Can we have this be the whole James Brown? On what our poems podcast, James Brown and the Boston Garden Concerts are discussed tonight at 8 with your host, me. I love James Brown as a kid. It's first, uh, my mom said, took me to the uh, Gallery of Sound in the Wyoming Valley Mall. I said, any CD you want? I said, I want this. James Brown live at the Apollo. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. This is the James Brown story. On April 5th, 1968, a day after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis, Tennessee, Brown provided a free citywide televised concert of the Boston Garden to maintain public order and calm concerned Boston residents. It was objected by the police chief who wanted to call off the concert, but he thought that would incite violence. The show was later released on DVD as Live at Boston Garden, April 5th, 1968. According to the documentary, The Night James Brown Saved Boston, that's what I'm saying, then Mayor Kevin White had strongly restrained the Boston police from cracking down on minor violence and protest after the assassination, while religious and community leaders worked to keep tempers from flaring. White arranged to have Brown's performance broadcast multiple times on Boston's public television station, WGBH, thus keeping potential rioters off the streets, watching the concert for free. Angered by not being told any of this, Brown demanded 60000 for gate fees, money he thought would be lost from ticket sales on account of the concert being broadcast for free. Then he threatened to go public about the secret arrangement when the city balked by paying him afterwards. So, James Brown still being James Brown. I'll save your city. 
but give me $60,000. That's how you got to do it. He hustled. That's a little James Brown story uh, for y'all in the morning. In the morning, on a Saturday, on a Saturday afternoon. Tell me about James Brown. Tell me the story you know about James Brown. That's the one I know. That's the one I know. So they form Boston, Massachusetts, the city that one day will be saved by James Brown. The Brad Street family soon moves again, this time that, uh, to what is now Cambridge, Massachusetts. So they, they found that town. And Anne has her first child, Samuel. Uh, despite poor health, she had eight more children and achieved a comfortable social standing. Having previously been afflicted by smallpox as a teenager in England, Anne would again fall prey to illness as paralysis overtook her joints in later years. In the early 1640s, Simon once again pressed his wife, pregnant with her sixth child, to move for the sixth time to Ipswich, Massachusetts, to Andover Par Parish, which later becomes North Andover. I don't know anything about, about New England or, or the thing. All I know is my friend Travis said, you ever have this? <clears throat> he was from the New England area, and he gave me uh, bread in a can. He said, it's big up there. We love it. So that's all I really, really know. My godmother used to take us, took us up there one time. She loves Boston. My parents. It was the day Mickey Mantle died. Went to Fenway Park. Everyone was sad. We ate. I threw tea in the harbor. The Boston Tea Party. They're gonna, they throw it. They reenact throwing the tea over. They said, any volunteers? My hand shot up. I said, sir, me, please. God, me, please. I loved history as a child. History I loved. <clears throat> My favorite historical story was in... Uh, in the in the in the in the olden days, when when the teachers would sit you down and say, "Did you ever hear about the time James Brown saved Boston?" <laughs> oh. So then, uh, Anne's father and her husband they they uh, form Harvard University in 1636 because they're fat. They just like founding things. Who founds things? A lot of, in cartoons. Like I know the founder of Wilkesbury is Wilkes Wilkes. And Bear, or Barry, or Bar, we don't really know the guy's name, but John and Isaac. So we have founders. Everyone's got a founder, I guess. That was the thing back in the day. You could just found stuff. I found it. <laughs> it's mine. Uh, cartoons always have. That's a good cartoon you're watching if you, uh, if you, uh, if, if the town in the cartoon is a founder. Jedediah Springfield. The Bluffs and Bluffington and Doug. Do you like Doug? I loved Doug as a kid. I related. I know this guy who doesn't like Doug. Why doesn't he like him? I said, why? I said, that's how it was in the 90s. That's how you dressed. You kept a journal. One time in my life, this is real, inspired by Doug, I, we had to write these journals in like fifth grade, and I wrote in the journal, I was waiting outside for my bully. And I basically wrote an episode of Doug, and the teacher sent the, sent the paper back and put it down to me, and she said, this isn't real. It's like, how do you know? How do you know this isn't real? It wasn't. It was fake. I lied about the whole thing. But still, if I have a bully waiting for me every day, what do you think? Like, Jake, who's the bully? Not, this isn't real. That lady sucked. Her dog used to run up on our property. <laughs> That's a very thing. That's like a back mountain thing. There's a back mountain here where I live. It's a back mountain. It's where the rich people live. We, we weren't rich. We lived on, we just lived on the mountain, not the back mountain. Uh, but uh, yeah, everyone has property. My property, they talk about. And this lady's dogs used to run up on our property. Property's important to some people. What happened with Anne? We still talking about her? Uh, in 1650, Rev Reverend John Woodbridge 
Had the tenth muse lately sprung up in America composed by a gentlewoman from those parts published in London, making Anne the first female poet ever published in both England and the New World. On July 10, 1666, their North Andover family home burned in a fire that left the Bradstreets homeless and with few personal belongings. By then, Anne's health was slowly failing. She suffered from tuberculosis and had to deal with the loss of cherished relatives. But her will remained strong, and as a reflection of her religious devotion and knowledge of the Bible, she found peace in the firm belief that her daughter-in-law, Mercy, and her grandchildren were in heaven. So Anne's life is going down here uh, She after she moves uh, pregnant with her sixth child. She starts writing the poetry, and then she gets tuberculosis. Her house burns down. Her family is burned alive. Uh, and she goes, well, they're in heaven now. I don't know about that. Death is weird like that, isn't it? People say, well, at least they're in heaven now. Are they? I don't know. Let's not get into that. She dies on December 16th, 1672 at the age of 60. So a good, hearty life for a Puritan woman. The precise location of her grave is uncertain, but many historians believe her body is in the old burying ground at Academy Road on Oscar Street in North Andover. The area of Merrimack Valley is today described as the Valley of the Poets. So there you go. Things that are named after a kindergarten, a road, a preschool. Uh, Anne Bradstreet's education gave her advantages that allowed her to write with authority about politics, history, medicine, and theology. Her personal library books was said to have numbered over 800, although many were destroyed when her home burned. This event itself inspired a poem titled Upon the Burning of Our House, July 10th, 1966. 1666. At first, she rejects the anger and grief that this worldly tragedy had caused her. She looks toward God and the assurance of heaven as consolation, saying, And when I could no longer look, I blessed his grace that gave and took, that laid my goods now in dust. Yeah, so it was, and so it was just. It was his own. It was not mine. Far be it that I should repine. However, in opposition to her Puritan ways, she also shows her human side, expressing the pain this event had caused her. That is, until the poem comes to an end. Farewell, my pelf. Farewell, my store. The world no longer let me love. My hope and treasure lies above. <sighs> well, there you go. Uh, because writing was not considered to be acceptable a role for women at the time, Bradstreet was met with criticism. That woman's up there writing again. One of the most prominent figures of her time, John Winthrop, criticized Anne Hopkins, wife of prominent Connecticut colony, Governor Edward Hopkins. He mentioned it in his journal that Hopkins should have kept being a housewife and left writing and reading to the men whose minds are stronger. Despite heavy criticism of women during her time, Bradstreet continued to write, which led to the belief that she was interested in rebelling against societal norms of the time. A prominent minister of the time, Thomas Parker, was also against the idea of women writing and sent a letter to his own sister saying that publishing a book was outside the realm of what women were supposed to do. No doubt he was opposed to the writing of Bradstreet as well. The negative views were likely augmented by the fact that Puritan ideologists stated that women were vastly inferior to men. I knew I didn't like the Puritans. Who does? Hey, we come back. A Anne Bradstreet poem. I'll read it. I'm gonna put it on, I'm gonna put on my acting chops. I'm gonna read this as Anne Bradstreet. What our poems presents. By night, when others soundly slept, by Anne Bradstreet. By night, when others soundly slept, 
and hath at once both ease and rest. My waking eyes were often kept, and so to lie I found it best. I sought him whom my soul did love, with tears I sought him earnestly. He bowed his ear down from above, in vain I did not seek or cry. My hungry soul he filled with good. He in the bottle put my tears, my smarting wounds washed in his blood, and banished hence my doubts and fears. What to my Saviour shall I give, who freely hath done this for me? I'll serve him here, which I shall live, and lew him to eternity. At first I thought it was like about a man, it was a sexy poem about a man, but I think it was about Jesus. Did you guys get that? What the hell? That was a surprise hitter, wasn't it? And are you in love with Jesus? Felt like it, didn't it? Wow. Anne's got a thing for Jesus. Anne loves Jesus. Didn't she? My God. That was like a sexy poem until uh <laughs> until we uh until we got to the to the end and it was like, oh wait. I guess that's what church she's like a nun. That's how nuns think about uh think about Jesus, right? Should we do another <clears throat> should we do another Anne Bradstreet? One more? Anne, you got anything else for us? This is about her husband. So this is this is the uh, this is not about Jesus. This is about love and her husband. To my dear and loving husband, if ever two were one, then surely we. If ever man were loved by wife, then thee. If ever wife was happy in a man, compare with me, ye women, if you can. I prize thy love more than the whole mines of gold, or all the riches that the east doth hold. My love is such that rivers cannot quench. Nor aught but love from the, from the give recompense. They, thy love is such I cannot weigh repay. The heavens reward thee manifold, I pray. Then while we live in love's let's so preserve. That then we live no more, we may live ever. Um, sometimes when poems written in 1630, they'll say thy, and you read it as they because you live now. And there's also this word preserver, uh, which means both to continue steadfastly and in a the theological sense to remain in a state of grace, in the earlier spelling of the word preserve. So that's how she's able to write that with ever. Uh, recompense, return payment, reward. And uh, my love is such that rivers cannot quench. Uh, compare this to the songs of Solomon. Much water cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it from a Bible. Also, quench me to satisfy. So, and she's right now, we can't understand it, but she was the first woman poet in America, published in England. Her family burned alive. Her family formed Harvard, founded Boston, founded Cambridge. She was living. She was dying. She was being Anne Bradstreet. She never stopped being Anne Bradstreet from that day in 16 early times when she was born, and she said, I'm going to... Be Anne Bradstreet, and things will happen to me, even though nothing's happening now but the shoeing of a horse and the growing of radishes. And that's our Anne Bradstreet story, folks. That's how we do it. Should we come back? Should we read a poem of our own? Has someone sent any poems in? Maybe. Who knows? I might call my friend who, who doesn't like Doug and yell at him. 
Would that be a weird ending? All right. Hold on to your butts. You know who I'm going to do a poem by? Well, you know, we, we do this sometimes. We, we, live, we live in a world where, where, we, where we say, poet, where did poetry go? It's back. It came back. Gorman brought it back for us. But uh, it, went into, it went into popular song. So here's a poem by uh, James Brown. And this poem is called Ain't It Funky Now, Parts 1 and 2. Ain't it funky now, ain't it funky now, ain't it funky now, well, ain't it funky. Huh, huh, ain't it funky now. A taste of organ, mmm, a taste of organ. Ain't it funky now, ain't it funky, ha, hit me. Good God now, ah, ain't it funky now, hit it, funky. Filthy McNasty, ha, ha, ain't it funky. The Preacher Daughter, good God, dig it. Filthy McNasty, ain't it funky, get it. Hey, you, hey, you, hey, you, come here. Hey, you, look at here, can you play that thing? Can you play that thing? Now give me a little taste. Make it mellow. Let it ooze out. Ha ha, Millie, bring it up. Good, good God. Ha ha, make it funky. Sir J-Bo, brother, do you like it? Show is funky now. Do you like it? It's funky now. Good God, do you like it? Yes, it's funky now. Yeah, it's funky now, brother. Make with that noise over there. Take it down. Let me concentrate. Bring it down. Good God. Cush Fred heavy. Play Cush part. Fred, so I can get Cush solo. Cush, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Leave that little horn alone. Good God, ha, be quiet. Let me get in my thing. Good God, take it down. So I can make these hits over here. Make them. Good God, yeah. Yesterday, Clyde, hold this on the jazz so I can hit him some organ. Don't go so deep in it, you hear. Jack, why you want to go so deep in it, brother? It's so funky now. Is it mellow, brother? Real, real funky. It's funky, brother. Mmm, feel good. Mighty nasty. I'm here with you. Yeah, yeah. Take it out. He, he, take it out. Take it out. Take the thing out. That's James Brown. Ain't It Funky Now, parts one and two, the lyrics uh, for when James Brown saved the city of Boston in 1968, the city that Anne Brown Bradstreet founded with her husband, Simon Bradstreet, and her father. Have a little piece of bread today for Anne Bradstreet. That's probably what she got to eat. Have a small piece of bread, put a little bit of butter on it, just a little bit, because that's, that's rare in those days, butter, cream. So just a little bit of butter on a nice white piece of bread, maybe hard, maybe stale, and you eat that for Anne Bradstreet today on on the day that is today. To Anne. Thank you, Anne, for writing poems in the early days. What do we think of her poetry? Do we like it? I don't know if I liked it too much because I couldn't really read it because I don't really get it. Sometimes there's just the barrier, and they'll say there isn't. But once you're getting to the 1670s, you, you can't relate in 2020. Besides that we still have stale bread, right? Anne, hello? <sighs> okay, folks, until next time. Peace and love, peace and love. Beef Jackie.